Yuck, yuck, yuck. Maybe the ugliest way to lose a game for the Pacers this season. It was close. The score, the stat line makes it look like the Pacers were in it with the Knicks, and they were, but the way they lost is the worst way to lose, getting out-efforted all night. We have so much to talk about from Pacers-Knicks and Pacers-Kings tonight on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, y'all. You made it through the week, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course... Talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East, and I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, Pacers lose in New York, and it was not pretty. The scoreboard says it was close, and it was. They were winning with about two minutes to go. They had a great first half. Some stuff from this game was truly good, and we'll talk about that stuff. But the way that Pacers lost this game is the most frustrating way to watch a team lose a game, just getting your butt kicked in a bunch of small areas all night long. And we have so much to talk about why that happened, what was so strange, the many strange things about this game. Not enough from the veterans. Jalen Brunson was incredible. And now the Pacers turn around and play a rapid-fire, fast-paced team that's going to shove it down your throat for 48 minutes in the Kings at home. So we have a lot to get to. Why was this game frustrating, right? Because it's very easy to say, oh, the Knicks have won nine in a row, and they didn't They didn't have, a, that's not fair. They didn't have OG, they didn't have Julius Randle, they haven't had Mitchell Robinson for a while. So losing is fine against New York. They won with this same crew against the Utah Jazz earlier this week, but it's still like you would have liked to win as the Pacers. They were winning late in the game, extremely late, with like two minutes to go, Jalen Smith dunked it to give the Pacers a one-point lead, right? That all suggests that the Pacers were in this and played solidly, and like it was okay, and it wasn't great, but it was okay. But... It wasn't. If you watched this game, the Pacers took a 15-point lead in the second quarter. From the time Jalen Brunson subbed in in the second quarter to the end of the game, it never felt like the Pacers, even when they were up 10-plus, had a good grip on this game because the Knicks were just kicking their butt at every little thing on the basketball court. And the key stat for this is rebounds. If you listen to this show a lot, you know that I am not a big rebounding is so important person. It, it is... But it's not like the difference between winning and losing to, in some games to the extent that it's made out to be. A lot of times rebounding is just a reflection of who missed more shots. In this game, rebounding was absolutely a huge difference and the story of the game. The Pacers had 44 rebounds and 9 offensive boards. The Knicks had 60 rebounds. And on the defensive glass, the Pacers had 35 defensive rebounds and the Knicks had 36. These teams... Missed a similar-ish number of shots. The difference is the offensive rebounds part where the Pacers had nine and the Knicks had 24 offensive rebounds. Eight for Precious Achua, eight for Isaiah Hartenstein, four for Jericho Sims. All the Knicks centers just dominated the glass. That's what they do. That's what the Knicks do. That's what they try to do. But when you're watching that happen or when you are the team that's having that happen to you, it is infuriating because it just seems like it should be you know, one of the simpler things to do. Hey, they're going to crash really hard, try to figure it out. And I get that stylistically, the Pacers want to run. They don't, you know, they're not the greatest defensive rebounding team anyway, but they also try to run. So that stylistic clash 
absolutely favored the Knicks in this game. They out-efforted the Pacers like crazy. Miles Turner, only four rebounds, got his butt kicked on the glass. But it wasn't just limited to him. Jalen Smith had nine rebounds, but even when he was the only center in the game, he also got his butt kicked on the glass by those guys, including down the stretch of the fourth quarter of this game. Everybody did, right? The Pacers' top rebounders were Siakam at seven and Smith at nine, but literally everybody could have rebounded better for the Pacers, including the guys that actually did pull some in in this game. And that was the story of it because... Let's talk about some other stats. The Knicks shot under 40% from the field in this game. They shot 21.1% from three and 76% from the foul line. The Pacers shot 45% from the field, almost 40%, 39.4% from three, right? They took, uh, they only got to the foul line 13 times. That's a problem for the Pacers. But the Pacers, 13 turnovers to the Knicks, 10, that doesn't help. Uh, but in general, a lot of stats are like, yeah, Pacers should have been in this. They had more assists. They did, had more steals. They had more blocks. They shot way better from three. They got 15 more points in the Knicks from three and made more shots from the field. All that stuff's like, yeah, good job, Pacers, efficient offense, good job scoring. Even with Halliburton's minutes limit, you found a way to do that. They could not stop the Knicks because the Knicks had so many extra chances. So many extra chances. They took 10 more shots than the Pacers and 12 more free throws. So 10 more shots sells them short. They had that many extra possessions. And watching this game... The, the Pacers rebounding was just woeful. I think Rick Carlisle said it on the stand. Like, that was the thing. They needed to be better on the boards, and they weren't. And usually, to me, rebounding is a reflection of who misses more. In this game, it was absolutely a reflection of effort, and the Knicks dominated in that way. And so even when the, the Knicks were down 15, I guess when they were down 15, the Pacers fell in control because their offense was rolling then. But as Brunson came back in, Brunson was amazing. In the second quarter to the end of the game, it just slowly but surely felt like the lead was slipping away and was going to go away for the Pacers because the Knicks kept having all these extra chances and their style was suffocating the Pacers and it ended up being the difference. They got it done. And a lot of weird stuff happened beyond that for the Pacers. The most frustrating way to lose, Miles Turner's bad rebounding was a huge problem in this game. Not a good rebounder, got his butt kicked in that way. But he wasn't the only vet who deserves some talking about. We have to talk about a lot of weirdness from this game, right? So first of all, let me continue to defend the decision to play Tyrese Halbert in the minutes distribution that they are. This is weird in that he has a minutes restriction, and so they have to make different decisions with their rotation. But I don't think the way they're doing it is weird, right? He had played 22 minutes again in this one, 21-53, and then third quarter, he's done for the night. People keep saying, he should be playing in the fourth. Okay, that's great. That sounds awesome. You want to play him five and a half minutes per quarter, that's great. You're not going to be up 15 in the second quarter. You're not going to be winning when he's done, right? Maybe having him in the fourth means you have a better chance of coming back, but you'll have to make a comeback because you'll only have played him 16 and a half minutes in the first three quarters instead of 21, and he was a plus five, right? So I, I the our only argument is if you think that they can do just as well without playing him as much early in the game. I don't think that's the case, especially with the way that this game flowed. I mean, obviously, they've lost the two games they've done this, so maybe the results say, hey, Tony, you're an idiot. Either way, it's I don't think what they're doing is wrong, but it's weird. It certainly makes things weird and different. No matter what way they're going to do it, it's going to be weird and different because there's a player who usually plays 35 minutes who's playing 22, so now Nemhart's playing more or someone else is playing more. So that's weird thing number one. Weird thing number two that isn't super a weird thing anymore because this has happened quite a bit in the year 2024. Buddy Hill was terrible in this game. Minus 10, team low. 
Uh, one for eight, one for seven from deep. I mean, they, if he's not making threes, it's just so hard to play him. And I said a long time ago, a long time ago, when Buddy Hield was slumping for the first time this season, well, I am of the opinion that the priors with him suggest he's a good shooter. So I think you just keep keep him out there. And if he stops shooting, he is putting himself in a slump. If he keeps shooting, he'll eventually get out of it. But at some point, you have to think of his shooting level a little bit differently. And he's now at like two months, two plus months of sub 40% shooting. Again, it can be a slump. I, I, I think that's possible. His percentage since Siakam started playing is better. But in the month of January, Buddy Heald, normally reliable shooter, 39.4% from deep. That's less than what you think of when you think of Buddy Heald since the start of November. That's almost the full season. I guess that's kind of a pointless thing to do, but it's 38.7% since the start of December this season. He's at 38.2%. Maybe he should be thought of more as like a high 30s guy instead of a mid 40s guy. And it's just been less consistent this year. This happened with Justin Holiday too, where he went from being very solid 40%, like three for seven every game kind of guy to either a six for six or an 0 for six guy. At least that's what it felt like in his last season with the Pacers. And maybe that's just the nature of shooting. But Heald's been a worse shooter for the last couple months than compared to his career or even his time with the Pacers. And that's been hurting the team, right? Even if I think his defense is the 10th or 15th percentile as opposed to where it used to be, which was like 5th percentile, that's still not a good player when he's not making shots. He was not good in this game. So I, I put that in the weird category. But the vets in general weren't good, right? Miles Turner also really struggled in this game. Siakam was 8 for 19. He at least played well, I thought. Like, he had 5 assists. He played solid defense. But, you know, 5 turnovers, 8 for 19. He could have been better, right? So the veterans needed to be better. TJ McConnell was available but didn't play. So those were the three vets. Siakam, Turner, healed All of them. Needed to be better. That was weird. And McConnell available, not playing. Maybe he was sick and like couldn't, didn't, didn't have it in this game. But they only played nine guys. And Ben Shepard was guy number nine. I'm gonna keep that one tallied in the head for now. That they went in a game where they were getting out energy, out hustled on the glass. A normally energy guy, not a rebounder, but still did not play in lieu of Ben Shepard. Even though Ben Shepard does a lot of good stuff, right? His defense is clearly a legitimate thing. They won Ben Shepard's minutes. He had six rebounds and three steals. Like he did good stuff. Um, but still. Something in the weird category. Just so much weird, so much bad, and none of that is the worst of the weird and bad, which is that the Pacers just completely got their butts kicked all night, out-efforted, outdone on the glass, and Jalen Brunson just smoked him. He was insanely good. Named an all-star right before the game. 40 points, unstoppable. Pacers start to really pressure him in the second half with some more success, but not really. Once the Knicks hit started hitting some threes, I think they hit five in the in the fourth quarter or like the late third to the end of the game, that was everything because that was working for them when they could pressure Brunson and the Knicks weren't making threes, but he had 40 points for a reason. He was ridiculous. He's so tough to guard for a reason. He's an all-star and the Pacers lose. It wasn't all bad for the Indiana Pacers in this game. We still have some stuff I want to talk about on the good side before we talk about the Kings, but in general, as I cut come to some of this good stuff, it was a lot of bad in this game. Pacers need to watch this one back and see what they can do better on the glass and how they can stop a team where one guy just tears them up in the future. We have to talk about Jalen Smith's maybe best game of the season. He was phenomenal. Aaron Neesmith's maybe best half of the season. In the first half, he was really good. Tyrese Halberton looked way peppier and plenty more on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. But first, we've got to talk about the lovely folks over at FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate less than 10 days away from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday 
This is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, the one that has the little indent because I sit there the most, grabbing your favorite football snacks and watching your friends play some super bets, whatever they love, the parlays, the over-unders, everything. They're going to get into it, and FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three doing the same thing. Not only can you bet on who will win the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today. You'll get $200. Holy cow, that's a lot. In bonus bets, if your first bet of $5 or more on FanDuel wins. To get that offer, though, you've got to go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook of the NFL. And we are back here on Locked On Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. Go over to Locked On Knicks. For your second lesson, hear about the winning team side of this game. Jalen Brunson's emotional night, uh, MVP chance as he's named an All-Star and scores 40 points. I thought his starting case for the All-Star game was better than Damian Lillard, who got the spot. But they're all All-Stars nonetheless. No one will remember who starts even a year from now. You can tell me off the top of your head right now all 10 starters from even the 2023 All-Star game. Congratulations. I could not do that. Either way, some good stuff did happen in this game for the Pacers that had a lot of miserable yuckiness in only a four-point loss. Uh, and that starts, for me, with Tyrese Halliburton. His, he had 13-10 and 10 in Boston, looked okay. In this game, 15 points, that's better. Five assists, that's lower than last time he played. But it, you just you just had to see it. Maybe it's just that he was more efficient. He was 6-10. for 10. He was lighting it up in the only third quarter. But even in the first quarter, he just looked faster and bouncier and more energetic in ways that he didn't really look in Boston. Maybe that's more comfort because he's played a game and he knows what to expect from his hamstring. Maybe that's that the hamstring is literally more healed. Who knows? But he literally looked better and more effective. They won his minutes by five. Again, ideally, they could play him 24, 25, 26. That might have been enough for them to win this one. But they can't. They have to be smart with this. But he looked. He just looked better, right? Literally, my first note of this game is Halberton with way more bounce early. They were playing with speed. They had a lot of efficiency. He played the first six minutes of this game, uh, and that was really impressive. And he was just freaking awesome in the start of the third quarter. So that is an important over the Pacers. Is hopefully that's something he can keep up. We'll see what it looks like on a back-to-back, if he can even play Friday night. But him playing at that level, again, is very important for this team as they march on with the Halliburton Siakam pairing now in full swing. Thing two that was phenomenal in this game. I mean, I've got to write an Aaron Neesmith story now. Aaron Neesmith, first half of this game, had 17 points. His career high is 26. Now, granted, Aaron Neesmith had 17 points in the whole game. He did not score any points in the second half. But his first half was sensational with those 17 points. That led the Pacers. That was keeping pace with Jalen Brunson. He was 6 for 8 from the field, 3 for 4 from deep, 2 rebounds, 1 assist, 1 steal, and only 1 turnover, plus 8 in the first half. He finishes the game plus 2. He had 6 total rebounds, 6 for 13 from the field, hit half his threes. Something has clicked for Aaron Neesmith. It's, again, another thing like Halliburton. Very obvious if you watched it and have been watching him. What I described it as in a tweet, and I would like to ask him this specific wording, it looks like the game has slowed down for him in that if he catches the ball, he can very quickly realize if shooting or shot faking is the right decision. That's step one. If he fakes the shot, depending on how the closeout is affected by his fake, he can drive to the rim. He can pass it to the right guy. He can swing it. He can put it on the floor. Whatever he does, 
he can do it right away. And it's typically been recently with his great numbers, the right decision. And yes, some of his numbers looking good is that he's making shots, but he's making shots because he's making the right decision with one to shoot, right? So a lot of stuff that typically when you're sped up or you're processing as a young player, you do well sometimes and not well all the time. You know, the, that's when the game is kind of fast for you. But when you start doing it right every time or you're a step ahead of what's coming and you can make the right reads and get to the rim and just be a threat all the time, that is a sign of the game slowing down for you, for lack of a better term. It's a sportsism. And I think that's happening for Aaron Neesmith right now because this stretch for him, including this game, he's been, I mean, people talked about it all year of him being the Pacers, you know, third or fourth best player in online discourse. I'm not like dying to get into that right now. But he's showing that he is a rock-solid starter for a very good team who's on an incredible run entering this game, not including this 17-point outing, which had a 17-point half. Uh, In his last, let's just say since Siakam actually started playing, so from Portland to now, he's averaging 16.7 rebounds and three assists per game. That's entering this Knicks game where he had more points uh, and assists than that. Excuse me, more points than that and more rebounds but less assists on 54-45-67 split. So maybe make some free throws. But other than that, phenomenal defender in all those games. He has been playing fantastic basketball and did once again. Uh, him and Siakam were great early. Siakam really fell off after that. Um, the, the Pacers played fast again, which was noteworthy. They hadn't been playing at that level of speed in a while, which I thought was uh, important. Another note that's good, at least, or at least for experimentation, interesting for the Pacers. If you want to go back in time, Pascal Siakam's second game for the Blue and Gold, they played in Phoenix, and it was a huge deal to me and to everyone that he played the five in that game. He played center. When the Suns went small, he was in at the five next to, I believe, Obi Toppin. And, oh, there it is. You know, Rick Carlisle said this was a thing that could happen. It happened right away. They showed that they're willing to go to it, and it can be an option in the right situations. How about this? Against the Knicks, a bigger team, they went big er with Siakam at the three in the first half with a second unit that featured two guards, Siakam, Toppin, and Jalen Smith in one lineup. Toppin was playing phenomenally, especially in the first half. Jalen Smith had an amazing game, which we'll talk about in a second. Siakam at the three, I think for the first time, I'd have to really dig into some lineup data to check, but man, was that awesome to see they really like his versatility and that's going to give them a lot of uh options and versatility going forward if Siakam can play all those positions on any given night Uh, a lot of my other notes are about Jalen Brunson who is just phenomenal and another one that just has so many chances for the Knicks um and the last guy I've got to talk about is Jalen Smith this is the third quarter note. Not a good Miles game. Jalen Smith in. Probably good. Uh, at that point, Jalen Smith had been playing pretty well. Jalen Smith ended up being awesome. Awesome in this game. 20 points, two boards, two steals, two blocks, plus two. Nine of 11 from the field, two for three from deep. On a game when Turner didn't have it, Jalen Smith absolutely did. He was great on both ends. His defensive disruption in particular in the first half was impressive. He made shots every time the ball came to him. They needed a big to be good because obviously all the Knicks big men were crushing it. And Jalen Smith was ready for it. His first 20-point game of the whole season, right? And I would expect personally that a game like that from Jalen Smith, given how his season has gone, would either require him to be living at the line or to be on fire from deep. He went two for three from deep. That's good, obviously. Uh, But he didn't make a free throw the whole game. He was just crushing it on the inside. Nine for 11 on twos. Some of those are post-ups. Some of those were those little step away from the defender, kind of half big men fadeaways. Some of those were just good looks in the paint. He was 
fantastic, energetic, mobile, aggressive in the right times, ready for his moment. They needed a big to be good because Miles Turner was not. Plus two in Jalen Smith's minutes, minus six in Turner's. They both played roughly half of the game. Jalen Smith was fantastic, deserves a ton of praise. Maybe his best game of the season. Uh, well, I guess you could quibble with that with a few things. So, man, the Pacers, I mean, maybe their solutions to this two-game skid is they need Halliburton's minutes limit to go up. I doubt it does Friday because we'll talk about Friday's game in a second. Uh, it's a back-to-back. Maybe the solution is have a single veteran have a better game. If one of Heald, Turner, or Siakam is you know, a 50% play finisher in this game or just plays a little better, they probably win. Maybe it's just some effort on the glass and the Pacers limit the Knicks to a mere 20 offensive rebounds instead of 24. Any number of tiny things could have been the difference for the Pacers in this game. A winnable road game against a, a good team in the East, and they didn't have any of them. And now they've got two losses in a row, a tough game tomorrow against the Knicks. Now, thankfully, I will say, this will probably be a segment next Monday, after the Kings game, which I I think they can win, but we'll talk about it in a second, their schedule finally eases up. They're the, really through the end of the month. I'm not. They're not going to go undefeated, but like their schedule, they could reasonably be the favorite in every single game. That's a topic for a later date. But they finally are through the brutal part. They just need stuff to start clicking a little more. They finally have Halbert and Siakam in the lineup. It's time to hit the ground running for the Pacers. And it starts tonight, perhaps, against the Kings, who the Pacers already beat this season. But this is a different Kings team. And this is going to be a fired-up Kings team. And I'm going to tell you why that's the case and why this will be a difficult game for the Pacers. But first, we're going to talk about the lovely people over at Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, where it's simple what you do. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch your winnings roll in. For example... Anthony Davis for more than or less than two blocks in his game. Or Damian Lillard for more than or less than four made threes. Maybe not those exact lines, but something similar is how you play prize picks with two to six players every night. NBA, NFL, NHL, whatever you like, they've got it. With basketball season rolling with football, you can do a combo league, for example, with Travis Kelsey and LeBron James. At a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus receptions. You only have one more chance at that one with the big game coming up next week. Plus, many more. You can play alongside some of their favorite players like Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Scholes in their community tabs. They have a reboot policy. If you have a player get injured, you can get rebooted. Prize Picks, the best way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use the code LockdownNBA to play today and you'll get a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that is prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100 at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. And we are back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. Two wrecks, three wrecks, actually, for your second listen today, if you're not going to listen to Lockdown Knicks. Uh, Lockdown Kings to hear Matt George, and I'll explain why in a second. Uh, Lockdown Grizzlies to hear about the Grizzlies side of NBA's first trade of November, or Lockdown Rockets the other side. Former Pacer Victor Oladipo headed to the Memphis Grizzlies alongside three second rounders for Steven Adams. Grizzlies clearing money. Uh, goodbye to my old trade idea involving the Grizzlies and Pacers. That was already dead when the Siakam trade happened. But still, uh, the Grizzlies maybe don't need to clear money for next season anymore. And the Rockets get a great backup center for Shangun. Interesting trade. Locked on Rockets, locked on Grizzlies. Why you should listen to Locked on Kings, beyond that they play the Pacers tonight, is that they are going to be a fired-up bunch in Indy on Friday night. Why? Because the NBA named their all-star reserves on Thursday night. And the fifth place in the West, Sacramento Kings, do not have an all-star. 
I shouldn't have said they're ranking in the West. Why? Because I think it's very dumb that people keep using team record for all-star stuff. It's just the best 12 players in a conference. It's not the best players on good teams game. It's the all-star game. If you like team record and think that that's a reflection of good play for individuals, be my guest. That's fine. That's it's, it's all your opinion. To me, that's not the case. Either way, I think DeMontis Sabonis has been better than Carl Anthony Towns. And Towns is an all-star and Sabonis isn't. The Kings, Fox has been awesome too. I thought given that some coaches use record to vote, they'd get one. They did not. That is surprising to me. Maybe they'll get an injury replacement. We'll see. I think Sabonis should be in instead of Cat. If you say somebody should be in, you should say who's going to be out. Whatever. But the Kings, with no All-Stars, are playing their first game since finding that out. And Indy, they're going to be fired up and ready. And they are tough. The Pacers caught them at the best possible time in Sacramento. That was basically the worst stretch of play for the Kings all season. They lost four in a row around that time. They immediately came out of it looking pretty good. They smoked the Hawks. They've won four or five since then. But the Pacers caught them at a good time. Maybe now it's not a good time. And they are a tough team to play on a back-to-back as well. They play fast. Uh, in pace, they're 11th, which doesn't totally reflect uh, their their speed of offense to me. Their offensive rating, barely above average. Their defensive rating, slightly below average. They have a lot of weird stats, right? A lot of stuff suggests that they shouldn't be that good. Right, the net ratings numbers that I just said. Only plus point plus zero point seven this season. But they're a good clutch team and they just shove it down your throat. They take the third most threes per game of any team at forty point four, and they shoot above average on threes at thirty seven percent. So they're gonna try to generate those shots all night. Pacers saw that in Sacramento. They have to be ready for that in this one. Get out to shooters, be ready to rotate and communicate. They don't take as many shots inside the arc as their trade off, but they drill them. Because one, Sabonis is a fantastic inside-the-arc finisher when he actually takes twos. But that's, he's not even like their dominant two-point taker. De'Aaron Fox takes more twos. He makes a good percentage of his as well. You know, they're a really good selective team at pushing inside the arc. So if they're so efficient on threes and twos, why is their offense 14th? Well, one, they're terrible at the foul line. I, I talked about that after Pacers-Kings in Sacramento. One, far and away the worst foul-shooting team in the league. They don't get that many offensive rebounds, which is interesting because Sabonis gets a bunch. No one else gets any. They're 17th in offensive rebounds. They barely get any steals. 22nd in steals. They barely get any blocks. So they don't have a lot of possessions or like actually raw chances. And so their points per possession is good, but they're not getting extra chances or those easier transition chances or anything like that. So yes, they are a good offensive team. Their half-court offense is solid. Fox is an awesome player. 27, 4, and 5 on 47, 38, 72 splits for Fox. Terrific player. Sabonis should have been an all-star, I say. 20 points, 13 boards, 8 assists. Terrific player. Very efficient. And yet their offense is not amazing because a lot of little smaller things baked under the surface and a lot of inconsistency. Keegan Murray rounding into form, but Harrison Barnes has had a very up-and-down year, as has Kevin Herter, uh, as has former Pacer Chris Duarte and a bunch of other guys. On the other hand, defensively, they're better than last year. Last year, a big problem for them uh, was their defense. This year, it is it is better. 17th is a big improvement for them. Last year, if you'll recall, the Kings' defensive rating, I believe, settled in at like 27th, 25th, right? So that has helped them stabilize in spite of their offense taking a step back from being one of the best in the league. They do clean up on the defensive glass. Sabonis is a big part of that. And they don't let other teams kill them on the offensive glass. Opponents actually... Uh, do very poorly on the offensive glass against the Kings. 
so that is a key part of their success is that they do um, not do well at defending the three-point line, but they do well at defending inside the paint. Again, very interesting numbers there. They give up the second highest three-point percentage in the league. Some of that is luck. Some of that is poor defense. So they are, on balance of numbers, a team that looks like they should be really awesome on offense and looks like they shouldn't be so good on defense. And yet they do a lot of little stuff well that helps them on the margins defensively and hurts them on the margins offensively. What does that mean for the Pacers? The key number is going to be the pace, right? They are okay playing fast. And so the Pacers also are are good playing fast. It might not be as helpful for them tonight as it typically is. When the Pacers beat the Kings last month, it didn't feel like that fast of a game. The Pacers were able to do well in the half court and survive with good play from Ben Matherin to get it into the paint or TJ McConnell to get it into the paint. And they had good enough shooting in that game. Jairus Walker obviously was hot, but so was Obi Toppin, so was Ben Shepard. They got two from Heald and Matherin. But in general, when I think back to that game, what I remember is the Pacers bench was amazing, and it was like a motley crew of guys. And their offense featured a ton of paint pressure. That is going to be key in this game. Get into the paint, make the Kings defense move, make it harder for them to play fast on both ends, make them tired, right? That's easier said than done because you also have to play fast in a game like that. But that's going to be important. But they did, I mean, the Kings hit 40% from deep in that game and only turned it over 11 times. But the Pacers did well to not let them get a bunch of offensive rebounds. They got lucky as the Kings missed a bunch of free throws and they weren't that awesome on two pointers in that game. That is going to be key again, protecting the paint, doing well in the lane, making drives tough for the Kings. Miles Turner had a nice game in Sacramento. Jalen Smith also had a very nice game in Sacramento. That's going to be important again. So dominate the paint on both ends, I think, is key for the Pacers. Be ready to play fast and be prepared for a mad, mad Sacramento Kings team that's going to do everything they can to show how good their stars can be at their absolute best. And I think they have a gripe because I think Savona should have been an all-star regardless of of the Kings record. I don't care about team records. I got a lot of reply. Now I'm done talking about the Kings. I think it's going to be a fun game. I actually think the Pacers are probably going to lose by like five or six points just because it's going to be a track meet and they're on a back-to-back. Either way, um, I do want to opine about All-Stars a little bit. I don't care about records, (laughs) as I've said, but people kept saying, well, the Lakers have two guys. Yeah, LeBron and Anthony Davis have been awesome, (laughs) right? Like they should have two guys. It doesn't matter what their record is. The role players have stunk like it, right? Like that's kind of how I feel. The Timberwolves role players have been amazing. I don't know that they deserve two guys. And also my second guy would be Rudy Gobert. In general, I think the All-Star selections are pretty good. The East is basically exactly what I would have had, although I would consider Trey Young. But it doesn't matter what I think. I just want to opine on All-Stars for a little bit because the game's in Indy. I'm hoping to be there to cover it all for you, including the Pacers' inclusion. Should be an absolute blast. As tonight's game will be, we might be back Saturday talking Pacers-Kings just because I did a crossover with Locked on Magic talking about the ascent of those two teams uh, and a potential trade they could make. So I'll throw a segment in about the Kings game and then that perhaps. We'll see. Uh, And if not, we'll catch you Monday talking Pacers-Kings from Friday, talking, I should know this, yes, uh, Pacers-Hornets from Sunday. Plenty to come here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope you guys had a wonderful week and enjoyed this week of shows. For more on the trade deadline, which is less than a week away, Thursday show with Bobby Marks from ESPN is for you. Thank y'all for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. We will see you soon.